This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Do you get the sense that the NFL has turned the page? Oh, man. A conversation about race in the NFL with Steve Weish of the NFL Network. There's people on the front lines. I mean, Matt Ryan down in Atlanta, Carson Wentz, um, Ty Matthew. I mean, these people are about it, right? They, you know, we've seen the guys, the Players Coalition, Sebastian Joseph Dane, Anquan Bolden, and, and the McCourty brothers. I mean, they've been in legislative halls trying to change uh, things. And so from there, yes. But the, the 32 owners, it is a wait and see type of, you know, situation. Coming up in this episode of Colors... Little Rock Nine legend Ernie Green, one of the first African-Americans to integrate high schools in the U.S. We didn't start out to be a piece of history. We were simply trying to get the best education we saw at that time. He discusses today's Black Lives Matter movement. I absolutely think that this time is different. I I don't want to offend anybody, but this isn't just a group of people trying to be polite and do that churchy thing. Uh, These are people who really feel that uh, this country's got to do better. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality. Exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. With Chris Core and J.J. Green. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. Our guest this week is somebody that I am absolutely thrilled to get a chance to talk to. Uh, His name is Ernie Green, and he's part of the Little Rock Nine. And those of you who don't know, in 1957, a group of nine young, really kids, men and women, young men and women, uh, wanted to attend Little Rock Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. The high school was segregated and the governor uh, did not want to let these black kids into that white high school. However, President Eisenhower said, this is not gonna last anymore. And he sent the National Guard to escort these nine kids into that high school. I just want Mr. Green, Ernie Green to know that there was uh, a little blonde uh, white boy in Iowa at that time who watched this with amazement and i will tell you i'm getting goosebumps from talking to you you are have been one of my heroes my whole life i I, i'm so delighted were you Uh, well thank you very much i i uh i just want to make one correction that uh, president eisenhower besides nationalized federalizing the uh, uh national guard uh he also sent in the 101st airborne of the army uh, as part of our protection as well. That, and that, that makes the story even more incredible. Um, and this is the obvious question I've waited my whole life to ask you, never knew I'd meet you. Were you guys just, the nine of you, were you absolutely scared out of your minds when you went in? I know you had all the military there, but nonetheless, uh, it scared me watching it. 
Well, I think we uh, we got over our fear when the uh, governor uh, used the Arkansas National Guard to keep us out of school. We had uh, we spent uh, part of the summer uh, having some orientation. We had a uh, an adult who was really supportive of us and um, gave us um, um, a lot of uh, time to really understand what was at uh, uh, was at work uh, in in Little Rock. Her name was Daisy Bates. She was president of the Arkansas uh, NAACP. But um, I think once we got to school, I mean, once we saw the troops, saw the importance of it, uh, obviously we had some discussion in our families and uh, at home. Uh, I think we all came to the conclusion that we weren't going to turn around and that uh, this was a period of time that you had to have 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 a little guts and uh, some drive, and we thought this was the time to show it. Well, you certainly I, I, did show it. God, yes. I mean that that really I, I, that that took incredible courage on your part. Thank you for doing that. It, as I said, you'd be surprised how many people that meant a lot to who you know. I've never been to Arkansas, so it had nothing to do with that. Just I was just as a kid was just so impressed. Well, thank you, thank you for the for the uh, for the thoughts that you had at that time, and I I think we also uh, while we didn't know about a kid in Iowa, we uh, we heard from a number of people around the country and around the world who uh, uh, supported uh, what we were trying to do, and, and you got to keep in mind this is uh, three years after the Supreme Court decision of Brown versus the board. This was uh, a few years after Jackie Robinson breaking into baseball. There were a number of firsts. Uh, the uh, law school, the University of Arkansas Law School had just admitted uh, black students. Uh, same thing for the medical school. So, you know, this, this was an era in which you wanted to uh, use your force to make a stand. And it was also, uh, this was two years after the murder of Emmett Till. Uh, this was after the Montgomery bus boycott. So all of these things going on around us, you wanted to try to participate and uh, be an agent of change yourself. Well, Ernie, you know, I... Uh, am no different than Chris in my all for you in full disclosure I have for 20 years gotten to see you almost every Sunday and on several occasions have told you this in person because we go to the same church uh, whenever I think about that situation that you you faced and certainly being an African-American kid growing up in Southern Virginia you know that was before my time I wasn't born then but when I was born my my folks let me know about it and let me know how important it was so just thank you again for that I want to ask you this question yeah if you look at what you achieved back in 1957 and in all of the years since then in your ongoing struggle to uh, affect change when it came to racial justice. How do you view what's happening now with the Black Lives Matter movement? 
Well, I, I'm very impressed with it. I, I applaud it considerably. Um, I think that it demonstrates a widening of support for uh, uh, for justice uh, in this country. It it goes to some discussion about the issue of slavery and and uh, the impact that it's had on this country. Uh, and I, I think it, it uh, obviously raises the question uh, significantly as to how do we remedy this? How do we change it? How do we make uh, this a country in which uh, a black kid from Arkansas can uh, uh, have impact and uh, have lasting impact and begin to see changes that, that occur in education and housing and employment and all the places, uh, medicine, uh, health care. You know, this, this is an opportunity, I think, and I, I really believe it. I, I told someone the other day that when they started talking about symbols like statues and uh, the uh, uh, Confederate flag, uh, I believe those are real changes. Uh, those are things that people gravitate towards and uh, making them change uh, to be an open society, not something closed where you expect somebody to be killed. Uh, you know, that, that, that to me is, uh, is what the real changes are, and I, I see them coming on the, on the horizon. Well, and, and I can give you an example of that, Mr. Green. The Wall Street Journal ran a poll in, uh, in 2018, and then they ran it again this year. And the question was, what do you think about Confederate statues? Should they stay or should they be taken down? And in, um, in 2018, two years ago, 35% of the country thought they should be taken down. So just a little over a third. The latest poll in 2020, 51% of the country, a majority, thinks they should be taken down. That is a profound change in a very short period of time. Well, I, and I think you can't ignore that. That, that's, uh, that may be the kind of thing that goes to the heart of racism in this country, that we can get rid of these symbols that uh, represent the past. I'm just wondering to get back again to 1957. So this was in September when you walked in and we have the pictures of the military around you going into the school. And then the school year happens. So by the spring of 1958, were you treated better? And uh, did you make friends with, with the white students that were at the high school because people got used to seeing you there every day? Or, did, or was it still a hostile atmosphere? It was still pretty much a hostile atmosphere. The uh, white students who wanted to befriend us were really uh, ostracized and, and intimidated. Uh, their parents' businesses, if they had one, was threatened with boycotts. Uh, they were isolated. So that uh, uh, up until really the last few weeks of graduation uh, and of the nine you know that i was the only 12th grader the only senior in, in the group um i knew that i was going to graduate then uh i had a scholarship that uh 
uh, Michigan State had uh, committed to me. And uh, my attitude was that while I would have enjoyed having somebody uh, to really be supportive of me, and, and there were a few that really took it, they, they took it on the chin more than we did sometimes. Uh, but uh, for the most part, uh, we were frozen outside. Uh, they wanted to keep the intimidation up and make certain that uh, we didn't have an atmosphere that that was uh, supportive about being there. One of the things that crosses my mind when you talk about that situation, and I've heard you talk about it on many occasions over the years, is that there have been flashpoints. There have been moments where it looked as though we were about to turn the corner. There have been moments where people rose up to make a difference, only to slip away from the scene and then have things slip back into where they were before. Do you get a sense that um, this time is different? Uh, I absolutely think that this time is different. I think the uh, sighting of that uh, 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 attitudinal study about pe- how people feel towards statues. Uh, I think the the makeup of the uh, young people and, and uh, uh, older adults uh, supporting uh, the, the uh, social justice changes. Uh, all of that is a uh, is a different picture than what we've seen before, and that uh, this is. I don't want to offend anybody, but this isn't just a group of people trying to be polite and uh, 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 do that churchy thing. Uh, these are people who really feel that uh, this country's got to do better. I recognize, uh, as one of my sociology contacts said, the browning of America. America is becoming... Uh, a lot more comfortable with uh, black and brown people. Uh, and, and that's who's making up uh, a number of the changes going on in, in this country. So I'm pleased. I'm very pleased. I hope that this is more than a mirage. I believe it is. And uh, I think we got to keep our foot on the pedal and, uh, continue to advocate change and change and opportunity that uh that's that's what this country needs and when you have warriors like john lewis and others uh uh, yeah. uh ct vivian you, you people that uh who really fought hard to change the the attitude of america uh i'm you know, I'm 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 very uh, uh, thoughtful that uh, we're turning some corners. Well, that- we we would be remiss if we did not mention John Lewis in this particular podcast because as we are recording this, um, his death has just happened. Um, I never had the opportunity to meet John Lewis. Um, would love to have met him. Has either of you met John Lewis? I. Uh- I've met John a number of times, and in fact, when John uh, uh, he he spoke at he spoke at Metropolitan our church at 
JJ and I uh, attend. Uh, but he also uh, helped celebrate uh, one of the anniversaries of the of Little Rock of, and of us, the nine. Uh, and he indicated many times that uh, what we did in Little Rock was also an encouraging uh, activity for him. Uh, it was we were a few years ahead of his efforts in uh, uh, in Nashville and and in the sit-ins, et cetera. Um, so, you know, there's a tie. And, and, and I think people who follow this history uh, need to see that, that we, this is all tied together because the uh, impact of people like uh, uh, the Montgomery bus boycott uh, made impact on me. The, the, the murder of Emmett Till made it uh, something that I wanted to, to fight against. Uh, uh, John saw what we did as students, and we all were, were teenagers. Uh, one of the things about Little Rock is that uh, we were 14, 13, 15 years old, and uh, we weren't adults, but we had a sense that we wanted to get the best education that they had to offer in Little Rock. Uh, they had more resources at Central High School than they had at the Black High School. Uh, we were interested in using education as a stepping stone to uh, uh, be able to have a better life and career and all of that. So that uh, what happened in Little Rock begat uh the freedom rides for John and in Nashville and then Alabama and Mississippi. They've got developed SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. I mean, all of this gets tied together and one led to the other. And hopefully we keep pressing the the metal that uh it'll lead to more and more and that at one point there'll be no need to have a special recognition of uh, what happened in Little Rock is going to be a story of what happened in Mississippi or what happened at the uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge. Now, all of this hopefully will lead to just an American story. You know, you're absolutely right. Um, we do need to talk about uh, Congressman John Lewis and the gigantic figure that he was and will be forevermore on the world stage, and certainly here in the U.S. when it comes to uh, racial justice and equality. And um, the general uh, theme of uh, this country, democracy. And so we can't leave out what a great figure he was and how he will be missed, but appreciated. And that's the key thing to to point out. He will be missed, but he did enough so that we won't forget and we will know that he had an impact. And so did the Reverend C.T. Vivian. Um, for those who don't know, he was a Baptist men minister and a member of Dr. Martin Luther King's inner circle alongside the Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth and the Reverend Wyatt Walker also, and the Reverend Ralph Abernathy, all folks that you, Ernie, knew. And, um, you know, he was known as Martin Luther King's field general. So that in itself says 
all anybody that doesn't know who he was needs to know to want to learn more about him. They will be missed, and we are deeply appreciative for what they have done throughout the course of their lives for us. You know, you mentioned people being a little bit more aggressive now and <laughs> uh, not just doing the churchy thing to get some to get some movement or traction on this issue. Do you feel like uh, people need to be more aggressive when it comes to seeking racial and social justice these days? Oh, I, oh absolutely. And I think that uh, it, it moves all down the spectrum from as we are finding out with this uh, uh, corona crisis that uh, health care is, uh, uh, is abysmal in many communities and uh, uh, people paying a, a huge price for that are the availability of, uh, of decent employment, uh, the expectation of... Uh, Future earnings, uh, you know, the ability to uh, uh, have decent housing. I mean, there's infinitely uh, uh, amount of work in front of us. And my hope is that uh, as we tackle one issue, we move on to the next and the next. And uh, at some point... Uh, we we have enough that we've done that uh, people will say that we're, we're making some real headway in progress. Well, if so, you helped start it, and it's been a, a, one of the honors of my life to uh, be able to talk with you. So thank you for everything you've done to help inspire me and, and, and others of my generation. It's a, been a great pleasure. Well, thank you. I enjoyed doing it. And, and uh, you know, Congressman Lewis says it best that you can't quit. You know, you got to be willing to stir the pot and uh, mm. and uh, make make a, make a good mess, <laughs> not just get in trouble, but you know, good trouble. So uh, I think we ought to commit ourselves to increasing good trouble and uh, be willing to continue to fight. So thank you, gentlemen. It's, I enjoyed having the chance to chat. Thank you, uh, Ernie, for doing this. And um, I miss seeing you. Hopefully when the COVID-19 situation permits, we will be able to see one another again. I, I look forward to that. Have, have a great day. Stay safe. And uh, let's see if we can all be healthy. All right, sir. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay. All right. Bye. Well, thank you, J.J., for arranging that. Uh, that was a, a real thrill for me to get to talk to one of the Little Rock Nine. Never in my life did I think I'd have that experience, and it was uh, it was just well worth waiting for. Terrific segment. Thank you again. You're welcome. I'm glad it happened, but the thanks really goes to Ernie Green for making time to talk to us. You're listening to Colors. My name is Aya Sadiq. I am Middle Eastern. I'm Palestinian. I have a light complexion and green-colored eyes. Some would say I even look Caucasian. So often, I blend in with white Americans. It's the moment I begin talking that people realize I'm not from there. Where are you from, they ask, a question often too complicated for me to answer. And although I'm originally Palestinian, I almost always settle with, I was born and raised in Dubai. A part of me was afraid of saying Palestine. 
As a Muslim Arab in a post-9-11 world, I knew I needed to be aware of how I could be perceived the second I decided to come to the United States. This was in America where fascists and white supremacists and Islamophobes reigned the country. Every time I was asked where I was from, I felt as though it came with the intention of strategically categorizing me into this hierarchical system of power based on skin color and identity. To me, that is America. My name is Mindy Peterson. I'm a white woman from the Midwest. I live in a Minneapolis suburb and the George Floyd killing hit very close to home for me. It's right here in my community. And along with the graphic camera footage that was available, it really got my attention. In the weeks since then, I've been learning a lot about white privilege and have been asking myself, what can I do right now to be part of the solution to the problem of racism? This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. JJ, I just read this week uh, that there are people who are considering whether or not it's appropriate to have Civil War reenactments anymore. I've never really seen the purpose of it. I've never followed it. I know that there are people who think it's really fun and interesting. How do you feel about Civil War reenactments? I've seen them. I know that you have people of different races participating in them. And I know that there have been different reasons for staging them. So uh, there are a multitude of, of reasons why people do this. One, say, to remember. But then you have different reasons for remembering. Some want to remember what might be, in their mind, the glory days of uh, separate and unequal. Others, in their minds, might want to remember the days of struggle uh, and the victory over that ideology and that mindset. So, you know, that's something that, frankly, I don't think you're going to be able to legislate out of existence. Do they offend you? No, it doesn't, it doesn't offend me because, like I said to you, there are different reasons why people do yeah. them. So if you're doing it for the right reason to remind people why this horrible chapter in our history uh, took place and why it had to be dealt with, then I'm okay with that. But if you're doing it to glorify, again, you know, slavery and all that it Mm -hmm. stood for and all the negative things, and no, I'm not on board with that. I was unaware of the fact that, (laughs) I, I believe I have this right, if I heard correctly, that all of the military bases that are named after um, generals or after military people are all Southern, uh, and that none of the military bases are named after people who were fought for the North, um, which is really bizarre. And there is a movement in Congress that changed everything over to different names, like Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I had no idea who Bragg was, but uh, apparently Confederate. Um, I, I guess that's going to happen. Is that vital, important? Um, what does it mean to you? The thing about changing things, and we've said this, we've talked about this, and I've, I've mentioned this every time we've had this conversation, that as time passes, names change. So, you know, I'm okay with names being changed. I'm okay with the reasons why these names are being changed. I do think it's late but not too late to change these names. 
the idea here is, from my perspective, is the it's like we talked about the Teddy Roosevelt statue in front of the museum in New York. It wasn't Teddy Roosevelt's um, necessarily what t- Teddy Roosevelt did. It was the imagery there, you know, of him on a horse with a Native American on one side and an African American on the other side. Yeah. Um, basically in a below him below below him him. exactly so people look at these names of these bases and these places and remember what it was these names who at one point were real people stood for so i can totally understand the change part uh and and i'm on board with that well there's one one change that i want to really push hard for um and that is i think it'll happen renaming the edmund pettus bridge the John Lewis Bridge. I believe that will happen. I think I can't think of anything more appropriate uh, to happen than that because of what happened on Bloody Sunday. Well, we'll see. And if it did happen, it would be quite fitting because John Lewis himself was quite literally a bridge from those days to today. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Rick Doc Walker. All-American at UCLA, first-round draft pick of the Cincinnati Bengals, Super Bowl champion with the Washington football team, and a lightning rod on the radio for racial and social justice. Don't act like you hadn't seen this before. Rodney King was nearly beaten to death 30 years ago, and nothing happened. And there have been four murders since George Floyd. So I'm really, really sensitive. When it comes to this, we've been given a lot of crap. And so what it's got to do, we have younger people who aren't as racist by nature. Our millennials, I'm proud of them. I got three of them. And they have marched in unity and opened this up. People my age or whatever, stick a fork in them for the most part. But this next generation is open to change. The rest of the country for my is just full of crap. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. And that's our podcast for this week. Thank you for listening. Before we go, I just want to say we have a new way for people to reach us, Chris. And um, I think you you probably know it's, you know, a number of people have tried to reach us unsuccessfully. So we've got a new way for people. We to had a snafu that has been corrected. You can now reach us via Gmail at the colors podcast all one word the colors podcast at gmail.com and we would love to get some suggestions from you on guests on questions on things you think we should be discussing yeah and also we would like to have some of your thoughts specifically these little audio vignettes or audio postcards that some people call them that we have on the program send us one if you want uh, to express yourself uh, send us one of those Um, just give us your name Give us your gender, give us give us your ethnicity, give us your location, and about 30, 35 seconds of what your thoughts are, and we'd love to have it, as long as it's Absolutely. respectful. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black, and this is Colors. Yep, we're headed out the door, but before we close it, we can't do it without thanking all of those people that have helped us along the way. Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Tiffany Arnold, Kyle Cooper, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Beth Gibbs, Thomas Warren, Ellie Rowe, Jared Ruderman, Dimitri Sotis, Sarah Beth Hensley, Rob Stallworth, Sean Anderson, Gina Bazemore, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, Melissa Howell, Neil Augenstein, all of those folks who've sent us their audio postcards. And of course, we have to thank Cosmic 
and Jesse Gallagher for our music. And most of all, we thank you for listening. And remember, don't stop talking to each other. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts.